But I feel like the Lord would like to talk to us in the simplicity of His Word. Aren't you thankful that God's Word's not complicated? We like to complicate it, right? But it really is pretty simple. If we'll dig into the Word and begin to search the Word and say, what does your Word say to me? I don't mean my truth. Like we hear that term in the world a lot. They have their truth. I have my truth. No, I'm, the Word is truth. That's what Jesus said. He said of his, when he was praying in John 17 for his disciples, he said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We, of course, know that Jesus also declared, I am the way, I am the truth. I'm thankful for the truth of the word of God and its simplicity. It's beautiful that the word can be so simple and yet you can search it a lifetime through and never explore all of it. I'm thankful for the Word of God today. Matthew chapter 26. And we'll start with verse 26. Some of you are going to get nervous that we're here Thursday night, but just hang on. Don't think this is all that we're going a whole different way. Matthew 26 and verse 26. And as they were eating, now it's important to know who they are, right? That sort of matters. They, is, they happen to be Jesus and his 12 disciples, all right? As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take and eat, this is my body. Some of us heard that before. He took the cup and he gave thanks. He gave it to them and he said, drink ye all of it, verse 28. Why? Because he said in verse 28, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. I'd like to leave that verse up there for a few minutes, please, Brother Jerry. Now, Anybody that's had any exposure to church, I'll use that term, um, we've probably, whether we've heard these verses or not, or know we've heard these verses or heard about these verses, most people have heard of what is known as what is often called the Lord's Supper. Yes? Just raise your hand if you've heard of that term before, the Lord's Supper. Okay, good, good. Okay, so, good. So see, that whether, you, whether you know these verses right here or not, this is what's often being referenced at that time. We also see about it in Mark and Luke, but this is Matthew's gospel here. And so we, we hear the term, the Lord's Supper. And so that's what is taking place here or what is referred as that. And most of you know, but some of, some of us may not, or maybe we're somewhere along the way. How many have ever heard of the Passover? Raise your hand if you ever heard of the Passover. Okay, a few less hands, right? Um, so good, we're going to learn something today. So you have the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, if we would have read some verses earlier, Jesus would have declared to them, he said, with desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you. We see in one of the gods. Well, and so they're eating here of what were parts of the Passover. Well, what is he referencing when he's saying, I desire to eat the Passover with you? 
Well, we won't go back and read all of it because we'd have to go all the way back to Exodus. We'd spend a lot more time, and I told you I don't think I'll be long, and I'd already be getting in trouble. So, But if you go back to the book of Exodus, we find a time in the children of Israel's lives, Israel being God's chosen people, we find Israel that is in bondage. They've been in bondage for almost 400 years. It's a long time to be in bondage, isn't it? That's a few generations in bondage. Multiple generations have come and gone, and they're still in bondage to the Egyptians. And so they're in bondage in Egypt. And Egypt, if you read the Bible and you study and you look, Egypt is always a type and a shadow, almost, almost always a type and a shadow of sin in the Bible. It's almost always a type and shadow of sin because Egypt represented bondage to Israel. Does that make sense? And so sin represents bondage to the people of God. Sin holds people in bondage from what God intends for their lives and what he would bring them into. And so the children of Israel were in bondage to Egypt. And they were working for Egypt. They had become slaves to their master. And Paul wrote about that. We won't take the time this morning, but he talked about whatever you serve, that's your master. If you serve the Lord, he's your master. But if you serve the things of the world, it's your master. And so when the Lord brings you, Paul talking about that, he said, if the Lord brings you out of sin, you don't want to go back and be in bondage to what he brought you out of. And so Israel was in, or the Hebrew children were in bondage to Egypt. But Egypt were strong taskmasters. And, you know, it's interesting there when you look at that story where the children of Israel, at this time, they were just there in Egypt in bondage. They hadn't, uh, they didn't go to Egypt with the idea of being in bondage. You ever find yourself in a place and you go, how in the world did I end up here? Anybody ever had that happen to you? Most of us. Okay, we're human. I knew it. Like, man, how did I get in this place? Well, that's... In a small way, that's sort of what happened with Israel. See, here's what happens. Sometimes God makes a way for us in a situation of life, but God's plan isn't that we stay there. It was simply a provision and a supply for a moment. But we become more dependent on what he gave us than on the God that gave it. And when we become dependent on it rather than him, we become in bondage to it. This is sort of what happened to the Hebrew children. Joseph went down to Egypt, right? His brothers sold him down into Egypt. You're getting a lot in a short time. You're getting about four or five hours worth of stuff in just a few minutes, okay? And so Joseph got sold by his brothers down into Egypt. He's in bondage. He's there 12 years in jail. But Joseph, by the hand of God working in his life, exalted Joseph to second in command in all of Egypt. And there's a famine back in the land where all of his family is. These are the Hebrew children, the beginning of the tribe of Israel, the 12 brothers that make up the 12 tribe of Israel. And so Joseph is in now second in command because the Lord helped him interpret the dreams of Pharaoh about how to avoid this famine and get through it, seven years of famine. And so Joseph's brothers come down to Egypt. And long story short, you can read it in the last 20 chapters almost of the book of Genesis. He brings them down to him. They realize, oh, this is the brother we thought we slew or sold into slavery. And it was, but they didn't know what happened to him. But God had a plan, even though they thought they were going to destroy him. Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. 
And so his family, his other 11 brothers and his father, they come down to Egypt where he sustains them. You with me? And this was God taking care. But God didn't plan for them to stay there. But they got comfortable there. That's what happens to us sometimes. And they got comfortable there. And what was meant to be just a sustaining for a little bit, there were 75 of them that went to Egypt when Joseph became their way of salvation. You know, Joseph is a type and a shadow of the Christ. Well, there were 75 when they, well, after 400 years, it's estimated there were more than a million of them. See, just because the numbers are growing doesn't mean you're not in bondage. They were in bondage. They were in bondage. And so the Lord had to make a way out. They couldn't get themselves out. This is why Egypt's like sin. You and I, you know, we can't get ourselves out of sin. You ever got, you don't have to raise your hand. I know the answer because you're as human as I am. You ever got yourself stuck in something and thought, man, I'm going to find a way to get out of this. And it seemed like when you tried to get out, it only got worse. Like you're trying to dig out of a mess and all that time, man, I'm just digging a deeper hole. You're like, okay, I'm going to stop digging. I'm going to start climbing. Then you start climbing. It seems like you're, man, that's just digging out more. It's like, I can't get out on my own. Well, that's where, that's where the children of Israel were. They couldn't get out of Egypt on their own. And so God came through Moses, spoke through Moses, and he told them, here's what I want you to do. There were 10 plagues we went through. The last plague that he said, he said, here's what I want you to tell the children of Israel. I want every family to take a lamb. And when they take that lamb, tonight at this certain time, I want them to kill that lamb, take the blood from the lamb, put it on the doorposts of their house in Egypt, and I'm going to send at midnight, I'm going to cause an angel of death to come through the land of Egypt. And when the angel of death comes through, he's going to look for blood on the doorpost. And if he looks and there's no blood, the firstborn in that house, the firstborn of every family, the firstborn of every cattle, the, first, the firstborn of every creature in that house is going to die. But the Lord said this through Moses. He said, but when I see the blood, if I see the blood on the doorpost, he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you meaning death would not come to your house. And that's where we get the term the Passover from. All right? You with me? So they had the Passover. And that night the Lord brought all of Israel out of Egypt. By a great and mighty hand, he delivered them. The Lord delivered them. He passed through. Egypt saw all their firstborn throughout all their houses from Pharaoh at the greatest to the least had their firstborn die because they didn't have the blood of a lamb on their doorposts. And so the Lord, they were like, get them out of here. Here, take our stuff and go. And they took off and they left. And then Egypt started following them after a few days. And they come to what's called the Red Sea. You heard of this before? And the sin... The type and shadow of sin that held them in bondage is trying to pursue them, wanting to take them back. See, you think, man, I break free from things when I start living for God and I break free and it seems like it just keeps coming after me. What do you do? I'll tell you what you got to do. You got to go through the sea. You got to go through the sea. And so the children of Israel, they come to the Red Sea. Moses stretches his rod out in obedience to the Lord. The Red Sea parts. The children of Israel go through on dry ground. Egypt, type and shadow of sin. Yes, you with me? Egypt tries to follow them, and when they get in the middle of the Red Sea, the Lord says, now Moses, stretch your rod out again. He does. 
And the water comes and destroys all of that which once held them captive. How many of you heard this story before? You know, this really happened. This is a true story. You know, there was a teacher one time trying to convince, his, convince a little boy. She's, he was telling about that. She said, you know what? The Red Sea, it couldn't have drowned. You know, Israel could have just walked across. It's only so deep. Trying to rob him of his faith. Little boy said, that's amazing. Even though it wasn't, deep, it wasn't that deep, it killed all the Egyptians. They couldn't swim in it. <laughs> you got to know the word, don't you? You just got to know the word. And so, so they, Israel went through the Red Sea, and when Egypt, type and shadow of sin, came, the Red Sea covered them, so it destroyed that which had held them captive. You with me? It's a beautiful thing. There's a reason I think it's not called the Blue Sea or the Green Sea. It was called the Red Sea, I believe, for a reason. And so that's where we get the Passover them coming out of Egypt, the blood on the doorpost. So, fast forward back to where we read in Matthew 26. Jesus said, with great desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you. Because he told them after he brought them out of Egypt, you're going to, every year I want you to remember what I did for you in Egypt. How, so year after year after year after year after year, they would take of the Passover. They would take a lamb. They would take some bread. They would take some fruit of the vine to remember the blood that was on the doorpost. They would go through this process year after year, remembering, looking back to what God had done when he brought them out of bondage. Remembering God brought us out. Remembering God brought us out. Remembering God brought us out. And so he says, we're going to eat a Passover together. It's now Jesus, here where we are in Matthew, Jesus and his 12 disciples, and they're in this room that was prepared, and they've got this meal. Jesus takes the bread, and he makes a statement that is different than anything the 12 disciples have ever heard. Because they've ate the Passover before. This isn't the first time these 12 men have had a Passover meal. They were Jews. They did it every year. But Jesus takes the bread, he blesses it and breaks it, and he doesn't say, hey, this is a reminder of what happened hundreds of years ago when the Lord brought you out of Egypt. He breaks the bread and he said, this is my body. Oh, hold on a minute. We thought we're remembering the blood of the lamb on a doorpost hundreds of years ago. No, no, he said, this Passover, this is my body broken for you. All of a sudden, he didn't point backwards. All of a sudden, at this Passover meal, he pointed forward. You with me? He was bringing revelation and understanding to them. The reason I needed you to remember the Passover year after year after year is because I had a plan even then that one day I'm going to bring you out of the bondage of sin. I'm going to do it with a spotless lamb whose blood will deliver you from the bondage of sin. And so he said, take the bread. It's my body broken for you. And then this verse here, he told them to drink the cup, which was the fruit of the vine. He said, it is my blood. He didn't say it's the blood of, it's to remind you of the blood of the lamb back there in Egypt. He was pointing forward. He said, this is you're about to drink. He said, from now on, you're not going to remember the lamb in Egypt. You're going to remember the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This is my blood 
See, the blood of the lamb and the Passover was the Old Testament. How many have heard of the Old Testament and the New Testament? Right? We go, oh, that's just two books of the Bible or two halves of the Bible. Well, yeah, but see, that's the problem with those words. We just think of it as two parts of the Bible. No, it really is a testament. If the Lord tarries, I'm 53 years old. I know I don't look that old. All of you are like, yeah, you do. Right? I'm 53 years old. If the Lord tarries, I'm going to die. I'm okay with that. It's part of life. I'm ready. But if the Lord tarries, I'm going to die. But I have three kids. My wife and I have three children. Well, I'm planning on, if the Lord tarries, I'm planning on kicking the bucket before my wife. I've, just talked to, I've talked to the Lord about this already. Hopefully she's old enough she won't get remarried. And get, no, I'm kidding. I digress. But, and so I have to draft a document that determines... You know, if, if I have my way, if we, we you know, we're going to grow old together. If I have my way, we'll, we'll just both go together. How would you be just wonderful that way? Hope not, not, not in some tragic way, just, you know. <laughs> All right. So, but we, we draft the document. We don't have much, but we got a few things. And so we'll draft the document that you probably heard of this before. It's called a last will and testament. Anybody ever heard of one of those? Yeah, a last will and testament. It says what happens to our stuff once we die. Yeah? So a will and a testament is a laying out of our desired plan for what happens with our stuff once we die. To take care of those that come after us. And so good our children. So we know what a testament is. But when we think of the Bible having an Old and New Testament, we don't think that way. But that's what it is. The Old Testament the old plan of what would happen, and the New Testament. And so here, this is important to see what's written in Matthew 26. Jesus, when he's eating this meal with them, that we all said, hey, yeah, I've heard of that, the Lord's Supper. He says, hey, this is the blood, what you're drinking. This is the blood of the New Testament. You've been living under the Old Testament. That was the Passover. But there's a New Testament and a New Testament, a testament has to have blood. We don't have time to go through all that because the, all the, you'd have to read all the Old Testament. A blood covenant. And so he said, hey, what you're drinking now, this is to remember that there's a New Testament. And this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Why? It's not a hard question. It's right there on the screen. Why is it shed for many? For what? For the remission of sins. The blood of Jesus ushers in a new testament. Last will and testament. Now, you can go read it. Take my word for it. It's there. I promise you. We won't take the time today. But you go to the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, declares to us so that we understand that without the death of the testator, a testament has no force. Right? 
So my wife and I, let's say here, like here we are. We've got this last will and testament. It says what's going to happen to all of our stuff. And it says it's going to go to our, our two kids and our other kid and whatever else we decide, right? Now, we could take that will and testament. We could hand it to our three kids and say, here you go. And they go, wow, look at that. I'm excited. I get the car. I don't know, right? I get this. I get that. I get this. Oh, I'll take it. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't get to take it now. How come they don't get to take it now? Why? Well, but I can read it right there. doesn't matter that you can read it. The person who wrote it, the testator, I'm still living. Don't start taking my stuff while I'm alive. Right? We understand this concept. See, we, we understand this in the natural, but we miss what's happening in the Scripture. And so if you allow me and walk as you are, thank you, walking this journey with me, that's why I said the Scripture is simple if we'll slow down and look and see. So there's this Old Testament and the New Testament. But for the New Testament to come into effect, the one who gave the Testament has to die. We understand that. You just, I just explained it with my wife and I and our kids. So the one who gave the testament has to die. So Jesus is saying, this is my blood. Now he's still sitting there right now. That's why I say he's pointing to the future. He's getting ready to die. We know this. He said, this is my blood of the new testament. Well, who has to die for the testament to come in effect? The testator. The one who gave the testament. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Not imputing their trespasses against them. And so we see the blood of the New Testament. He said it's shed for many for the remission of sin. Remember Egypt's a type and a shadow of sin. Egypt held them in bondage. So in order to get freedom from the bondage of sin, I need the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It breaks the bonds of sin. I need, you need, we need remission of sin. And so in order to get the New Testament, the testator had to die. This is why Christ had to die. He was the testator. God was manifest in the flesh. And so the testator had to die for the New Testament to come in effect for you and I. Otherwise, all of us sitting here today, we would still be under the Old Testament, which means before you walked in, you should have made sure you brought a dove with you or a lamb with you or you brought some flour and some oil and you would bring and present. It wouldn't be me because I'm not a Jew but, or, and I'm not of the tribe of Levi, but there would be someone of the tribe of Levi and you would bring all And really, you couldn't bring it because you're not a Jew either. You could only come into the outer court where the Gentiles were allowed to stand. We wouldn't even be allowed into the temple. But because the testator died, we can come together and come into the presence of God. We can enter into the holiest holies because of the blood of the Lamb. And so we know that from this, there is remission of sins. We also recognize this was the Passover. Christ was crucified at Passover. You with me? Why does this matter? Because for all of those that had been celebrating the Passover year after year after year, all of a sudden... They had always been getting a lamb, taking a lamb, taking a lamb, taking a lamb. 
But now the Lamb of God was crucified at Passover once for all. And every single one of us have been or maybe even today are in the bondage of sin. And the only way for the remission of sins is the blood of the Lamb. The writer of Hebrews tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Sin is what separates you and I from God. Sin is what keeps us in bondage to our own will. Sin is what keeps us in bondage to the world. Egypt, a type and shadow of sin. Sin is what keeps us a slave to doing what we wish we could just stop doing. You ever ask that question? Why do I keep doing it? Or maybe you've done this. You, I'm trying to be careful here. Don't want to. You're like, you've done something. You're like, I shouldn't have done it. I know that doesn't please God. I know it's not pleasing. I, my conscience alone, I feel the, my conscience is convicting me. That's not just your conscience. That's God, what he gave you to convict you, right? And so you're convicted by God's, con- your consciousness that there is a God, whether you realize it or not, and it convicts you. You realize this is wrong. And so you make this statement, okay, I'm not going to do it anymore. Anybody ever said that? We're a room full of humans. I love it. Right? I'm not going to do this anymore. And then what happens? Oh, let's see. We are all human. You do it again. So you, you hear how many people said that? Isn't it somehow we can beat ourselves up like that doesn't happen to anybody else? And so we do it again. Why? Because we're in bondage to sin. What do we need? We need remission of sin. We need remission of sins. I can say I'm sorry. But sorry doesn't take away what I've done. Yes? Remission is the removal. Remission is the removal. He can take away the record of what's been done. By the blood of the lamb, the blood becomes it's shed for the remission of sins. Hear me. Every soul on the face of the earth needs remission of sins. Every one of us. Jesus said, except you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. I need the remission of sins. Okay? It comes through the blood. So let's look at this quickly. Luke 24, verse 44. I remember when I was a kid, my pastor, when I was younger, he would use this example all the time. I guess that's why I think of it. I don't know that it's a perfect analogy, but it's it's one that works. He said, if I come visit your house and you have a really nice rug and you bring me a cup of coffee and I'm sitting sitting down there in your living room and you hand me that cup of coffee and I go to take it and I drop it 
right there on your rug. Coffee all over your rug. And I'm like, oh. I pick up the cup. You run and grab a towel. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Sister Julie. I know that was your favorite rug. It came from your mom and your grandma and has been in your family forever. I'm so sorry about the coffee on your rug. And Sister Julie's like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm so sorry. I feel terrible. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And so she says, really, it's okay. It's all right. I know you're truly sorry. And I leave. But when I leave, the stain from the coffee is still on the rug. Yes? Was I truly sorry? Yes. Me being truly sorry, did it fix the rug? No. I need something to clean the rug. Yes? That's remission. Remission is the cleansing. In that example... Remission of my error. I'm not saying dropping coffee is a sin. Close, depending on the coffee. No, I'm kidding. Okay. But remission is the removal of the evidence of my error. I can't deny that I erred. But then I come back and I visit again. And I'm like, oh, man, I... Embracing myself, right? Because in my humanity, I'm feeling a little condemnation for my failure and what I did wrong. But I'm like, you know, I'm not avoiding them. I'm not going to avoid God because I've done wrong. I'm going to run to him. And I go and I visit their house and I, I walk in there and I sit down and I'm like. It's clean. Oh, and I feel so good. Every evidence of my error is gone. Oh, that's one. I got peace. And she brings me coffee again. Why does she bring me coffee again? She loves me. She brings me coffee again. But notice, I've repented from my last action. So where I was careless before, I'm not careless anymore. I now take personal responsibility for my actions. I did not fix the rug. I I could have taken my hands and fingers and my toes and rubbed that all. wouldn't take it out. It took something besides myself to get that out. We understand that in the natural, yes? But my error now, when I'm in a situation like that again, my error before, true repentance says, I'm taking different action when I'm in that situation next time. That's repentance. Repentance literally means a change of one's thinking. The Greek word is metanoia. It means a change of how I think. So the next time she's handing me a cup of coffee and I'm in that situation, I'm acting differently. I'm thinking differently. I'm postured differently. I'm not positioning myself the same way I did before. I said, maybe not the best now, but you get the point. My thinking was affected. I repented so that I don't repeat those errors again. That's repentance. Now, But there has to come a forgiveness. Somebody had to get that out of that rug. That was remission. The evidence of my error is removed. 
That's what remission is. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But we need the evidence of our sin to be removed if we want to spend eternity with Him. We need remission of sins. So Jesus is speaking here, Luke 24, verse 44. He's died, He's been buried, He's already shed His blood, He's resurrected from the dead, and He's showing Himself alive for about 40 days. This is right, this is just a little bit before He ascends back into heaven in Acts chapter 1. And he'd been walking on the road with some guys. Verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you. Yes. And all things that must be fulfilled, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms is pretty much all of the Old Testament. Law of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament. The Psalms, you know what that is. The prophets is all those other books that come after there. Jesus said, all that stuff that was written in the Old Testament was about me. That's what Jesus is telling. These are some of Jesus' last words while he's on the earth in bodily form. All things must fulfill were written me. Verse number 45. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. I feel like that's what the Spirit of the Lord is doing here this morning while we're sort of walking like we are a little slower. He's trying to open our understanding of what we see in the Scriptures. He opened their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Now watch what he said to them. Verse 46, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to... That word behooved, we don't use that too much. It means it was necessary, it had to happen. Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer, to be crucified, and to rise from the dead the third day. Why? Notice there's a colon at the end of that verse. Why was it necessary for Christ to die, to suffer, to be buried, and to rise again? This is why. Verse 47. That repentance... Sister Julie, I'm sorry I spilled coffee. That's repentance. That repentance and... Everybody say and... And, that's a conjunction that joins two thoughts. One is not complete without the other. Repentance and remission of sins. Can't just preach repentance. Can't just preach remission. Together. If she cleans the rug, but I'm not truly sorry, I don't have a change of how I think, it's going to happen again. If you want a transformed life in Christ, there has to be repentance and remission of sins. So Jesus said, it was necessary for me to die, to be buried, to rise again, and this is why. It was necessary because repentance and remission of sins should be preached. How should it be preached? In His name. Who's talking? Who is? So whose name should it be preached in? Who? Okay, good. We're on the same page. I told you it's simple. So Jesus is saying repentance and remission of sins should be preached in Jesus' name. Is that fair to say that that way? Should be preached in Jesus' name among all nations, not just one or two. And it should start at Jerusalem. That's the instruction of Jesus just before he ascended, some of his last words. And you're witnesses of these things. We're talking about remission of sin. Fast forward, Acts chapter 2. We're going to skip a bunch because I told you I didn't think I'd be long and I'm already in trouble. Acts chapter 2, but are you interested in remission of sins? 
Acts chapter 2. Watch. Let's start with verse 37. Or verse uh, 36. Now, if you read Acts chapter 1, Jesus has already ascended. He told his disciples, you go tarry at Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. So now it's a New Testament, yes? Because the testator's already died. He'd been risen again. So now the disciples at Jerusalem, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost is poured out on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, they're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And there are people watching going, what in the world has just happened here? And Peter stands up, and the apostle Peter is preaching to all those and watch what Peter, remember what we just read in Luke 24? Jesus said, I died and I suffered and I was buried and I rose again because repentance and remission of sin should be preached in my name and it should start at Jerusalem. And remember in Matthew 26, he said, this is the blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Okay. Verse 36. Peter's preaching. He says to them, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus that you crucified. He's both Lord and he's Christ. Next verse. When they heard this, who's it? this is all the people listening. When they heard this, the Bible says they were pricked in their hearts. You ever heard something that made you go, oh no. And you heard it and you're like, oh no, that was me. I'm guilty. That's what's happening to them right there. They heard him say, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus both Lord. And they heard this and they're like, some of us were yelling, crucify him. Some of us were standing by. He was the Messiah. Oh, no. In a far greater sense, it's that I just spilled coffee. Oh, no. But a far greater sense. They just got the realization. We crucified him. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. And notice, they said to Peter and to who? Who? So it wasn't just Peter. There was 11 others there too. I know Judas wasn't there, but Matthias is in his place already. We see that at the end of chapter 1. So there was the other 11 apostles were standing there with Peter. They said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, when they're pricked because of their sin, they crucified the Lord. Their sin. They said to Peter and the rest of them, men and brethren, what do we do? Would you be interested in knowing what he said? What do we do? Watch verse 38. Peter said to them, what? Repent. And what? Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For what? Remember what we just read in Luke 24? Jesus said, repentance and remission of sins should be preached. How? In his name. And it should begin where? Jerusalem. Told you it was simple, isn't it? Peter is preaching exactly what Jesus told him he should preach. He's preaching repentance 
And he's preaching remission of sins in the name of Jesus. Yes? We, we see that, don't we? But notice, Peter brought a little wrinkle in there that we, we didn't take the time to read Matthew and Mark. We just picked up in Luke 24. But Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Well, we know the blood was shed for the remission of sins. So there's some connection between the blood and baptism and the remission of sins. Yes? Okay. Acts chapter 22. This is the last verse. In case you're getting nervous, I'm finishing. Hear me. We all need remission of sins. It's not enough to be sorry. I need the blood of Jesus applied to my life. Acts 22, verse 16. We could have read the first 15 verses. It would give you a lot more. But The word of God has been preached to them. And here we see this declaration in verse 16. After they have heard the word. And the declaration is this. And now why tarriest thou? We don't use that word either. Tarriest. King James English. Here's what it literally means. Why are you waiting? That's literally what he's saying. And now, why are you waiting? Arise, get up, and do what? And do what? Arise and be baptized and, and do what? Wash away thy sin. That sounds like remission of sins to me, doesn't it, you? Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. How? Calling on the name of the Lord. Would you stand with me this afternoon? I guess it's that. Yeah, it is afternoon. Quoted it earlier, I'll quote it again as we close here today. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. I need the blood of Jesus to remit my sins. But I can't find in Scripture... Where repentance and remission of sins are separated. It's always repentance and remission of sins. They go together. And I see again and again the remission of sins. As Peter preached according to the instruction of Jesus. Being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So I got to believe the blood that was shed, the blood of the New Testament for the remission of sins has to be applied in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ.
I'm sure it's why Jesus said in his last recorded words by Mark, he that believeth and, oh, there's that word again. Why didn't he say just he that believes? No. He said he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Because in the waters of baptism, in the name of Jesus Christ, there is remission of sins. It's, do you see the picture? It's the children of Israel with Egypt pursuing after them. They've come out of Egypt. They're not in Egypt anymore. But Egypt is still coming. And if Egypt catches them, Egypt is stronger than they are. But when they went through the water... The water destroyed that that would have destroyed them. And Egypt was, or, and Israel was never in bondage to Egypt again. The only time you can find Israel any similitude of any subservience to Egypt is if Israel made a choice on their own to go back. This is the power of the name of Jesus applied in the waters of baptism. It's the remission of sins. Would you talk to the Lord right now where you are? Come on, if he's remitted your sins, you ought to have a heart of thanksgiving today. There ought to be an expression of gratitude and thanksgiving to the living God. But if you're standing here this morning and you've heard these words in the simplicity of the Scripture, and you have not yet, maybe, maybe you've repented, but you haven't yet had your sins remitted. I'm telling you, you got to talk to someone that brought you here. you got to visit with someone that connected you here. got to have a conversation. Let's sit down and get through the Word. But you need to go through the waters of baptism for the remission of sins. The remission of sins. You can be clean from every sin of the past. Every evidence of the error remitted, not by the work of man, but by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Jesus, for your precious blood. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood of a spotless lamb. It's by your blood alone that we find and receive remission of our sin, our error, that which separates us from you. I stand before you acknowledging of myself in my humanity. I am sinful, but by your blood I'm made clean. I worship you today, Jesus. I thank you for your word that is clear and sure. Let the beckoning of your spirit and your word reach into the heart of every man and woman, every young person here today. Let the word of God bring revelation and understanding in every heart and every life according to your will, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, lead us Lead us, let the goodness of God lead us to repentance. Let the goodness of God lead us to repentance. But let us not stop at repentance. Let us move on to repentance and remission of sins as you intend. That you would fill us with your spirit and we would never be the same again. 
In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. We thank you for the precious blood of the Lamb. We thank you for becoming the Lamb slain. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the blood that gives us entrance to the holiest of holies. Thank you for the blood that one day when we stand around your throne, it will be robes of white because they were washed in the blood of the Lamb. Thank you for the blood of the Lamb. Let it be applied to every life that would submit to your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. We thank you, Jesus. We worship you today. We honor you, the living God, the living Word of God. And we bless your name this morning. In Jesus' name.